0: After his long-term partner left him for someone she described as younger but more mature, David Bramwell knew it was time for change. He embarked on a global adventure to seek out his Utopia, a community that would suit his singular needs and teach him how to be a better person. After visiting an anarchist commune in Denmark and a spiritual caravan park in Northern Scotland, he heads to the south of England intent on a little carnal pleasure. For the full sordid details, Join us for another journey on the number nine bus to Utopia, an auditorium six-part special. Episode three, A Polyamorous Playground.
1: Two months into my journey and I was thoroughly enjoying communal life. Away from my laptop, my multiple projects and the painful memories of splitting up with Alex, I was meeting people from all over the world, sharing meals and soaking in hot tubs. Scotland's community of Findorn had been a real breakthrough, opening my eyes to the nature of how we build empathy. It was also extremely wholesome. In fact, it was more wholesome than sitting with a kitten on my lap whilst doing a jigsaw of a basket full of kittens. I was ready to have some fun at a polyamorous free love community. But which one? Having researched these extensively, I'd whittle them down to three big contenders.
2: New in at number three, Kamaya in Switzerland. Kamaya's guru fancies himself as a reincarnation of Leonardo da Vinci and has the beard to prove it. These chaps uh, practice tantric sex and may well give you marks out of ten in the morning for your performance. Best keep off the biscuits, though. They don't allow fatties. Still at number two, Zag. Now in its 30th glorious year, Germany's Zag champions free love, combined with psychological group work of the Landmark Forum. In an effort to be free of his jealousy and possessiveness, why not watch your partner having sex with a stranger whilst the therapist talks you through the tricky bits? At number one, the undisputed Indian pleasure palace of free love, Puna, set up by the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, uh, a.k.a. Osho or Chandra to his mum. Osho caused controversy in the early 1970s in India, simply for suggesting that sex was quite a nice thing to do. Uh, By 1980, he had 96 Rolls Royces and his own town of 20,000 supporters in the US. And boy, do these guys still know how to party.
1: Well, if you're exploring libidinous fantasies, why settle for second best? Having promised myself I'd stay off the hippie trail in India, I found an Osho community in the south of England instead. A secluded and slightly run-down oak-panelled country house, with its own grounds dotted with the odd caravan. I arrived late at night, wondering if anyone would still be up. To my relief, they were. Four men were sat in the hallway surrounded by ashtrays and beer cans. But after a 16-hour drive from northern Scotland, I wasn't prepared for such a lukewarm welcome. Oh, hi, I'm David. Uh, Yeah, yeah, room's upstairs. Right. You all look nicely settled in for the night. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and you've got beer. I've just driven from Scotland. I'd absolutely love a beer. What were you saying about Osho, Ted?
2: He were the most enlightened person on the planet.
3: Enlightened? Don't be soft. You don't know bugger all about enlightenment. When you're enlightened, you leave the fucking planet. Everyone knows that. Osho hadn't left the planet. He was driving round it in a sorry Rolls-Royce. He was a dude, man. A, a dude, what is this? B- Bill and Ted? He, he were he were a bloody rebel. Bollocks! He were a fucking comedian. Listen, when they kicked him out of the states, he was going round the world in his private jet trying to find somewhere to stay. And when Greece finally let him in, do you know what he did? Yeah, uh, I know. No. Yeah, he did a press conference, stood up, and said, "Father, son, and Holy Ghost. Where's the woman?" Sounds like a pretty gay religion you've got going on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh...
1: Did any of you ever go to Pune, the, you know, the original Osho community in India?
3: Yeah, sure, mate. Yeah, it's pretty tame now, though, compared to what it was. I went in the 70s. God, it were wild in the beginning. Everyone were fucking everyone else. People were physically fighting each other. Legs were getting broken.
2: <laughs> w- was that a good thing? No, of course not, but, you know, they were just finding their feet, weren't they? Hey, <laughs> not the legs were broken.
1: Before leaving Findon on the previous morning, I checked out directions on the Osho community's website. It has shown pictures of men and women hugging, kissing and laughing. Not a gaggle of middle-aged northern blokes sitting around being chippy and keeping their beer to themselves. And before you ask, I have nothing against the north. Quite the opposite. I was raised in Doncaster on pies, drizzle and sarcasm, and you can't get more typically northern than that, can you, you soft bugger? The first few days at the community passed quietly with work duties and meals. I helped clean the rooms and shared the cooking. Only a couple of dozen people appeared to be living in the community full-time and they seemed to prefer to keep themselves to themselves. It felt like a community with little sense of community. And I know what you're thinking, because it's exactly what I was thinking. When was the free love going to kick in? Not until the weekend, I discovered, when the community welcomed a fresh influx of people for their myriad courses. There were the usual spiritual party types with dreads and day-glow leggings, pairs of friends there for the first time and a few straight-laced middle-aged men who looked like they'd taken the wrong turning to a weekend business conference on fireproof doors. Despite its guru's legacy, few visitors seem to know much about Osho.
4: He was a love guru, that's all I know. When I was here last year, two girls asked for their money back. They'd heard orgies were taking place and wanted to leave. They got quite hysterical about it.
1: Sorry, can I just clarify? D- did they leave because they were expecting an orgy and there wasn't an orgy? Or they weren't expecting an orgy and there was an orgy? <sighs> wouldn't surprise me. What? It wouldn't surprise you if there had been orgies or, or would surprise you if there hadn't been orgies? Oh, whatever. I'm really confused. Are you here for orgies? I just want to dance myself into exhaustion. What about you? Me? Um, well, I came, I came out of a relationship recently. I guess I'm on a journey to explore community life. I'm here. I'm looking for something to help me grow as a person. You know, nourish my soul. Sure, yeah. And you're hoping to get laid as well, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I thought so. Whenever there were visitors, each morning we really did dance ourselves to exhaustion.
3: Come on! Woo! Yeah! Let's get some love and energy in the room. Come on, everybody!
1: Clap
3: your hands! Woo! Yeah! All
2: right! All right!
3: Okay, who's ready for some status quo? Wow.
1: The community's founder, Osho, or the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, had played the bad boy guru to perfection. A former philosophy professor, he began by travelling around India in the late 60s, giving lectures.
5: Organised religion has spent so long making a taboo out of sex that we have become obsessed with it. But why is it a taboo? After all, is not life an infinitely non-ending process of procreation?
1: He had a point. In the 1970s, Osho set up his first community in India, called Pune. It became a haven for the Western spiritual tourist, offering group therapy, daily meditations, beautiful surroundings and permissiveness. However, by the late 70s, Osho's lectures had also started to raise a few eyebrows. If you cannot meditate because your mind is on
5: sex, then go and have sex. I am
1: here to free your minds. I have succeeded where Hitler failed. In 1981, Osho moved to Oregon and set up a 20,000-strong intentional community of his Sanyasins. But spats with the locals from a nearby town soon grew unpleasant. By 1984, the Sanyasins were so desperate to get their own mayor for the region that on voting day, Osho's secretary went out and contaminated salad bars and coffee creamers with salmonella in over 10 different restaurants to knock out many of the opposition voters. Over 750 people were infected, many hospitalised. It remains the largest case of chemical warfare against the American people. Osho was kicked out of the US and finally returned to Pune. Having started as a teacher condemning false gurus, Osho ended up the most decadent of them all. Before he died, he'd badmouthed almost everyone. Gandhi? A
5: miser. Jesus? Crazy bastard. Mikhail Gorbachev? I hereby and publicly call for his assassination.
1: And if he'd asked his opinion of Donald Trump...
5: Oh, a lovely bloke, Always the first one at the bar.
1: Some argued that ongoing health problems had led to an addiction to nitrous oxide and valium, which in turn made Osho do lally. However, it's undeniable that in his early years, he wrote a number of insightful books on the themes of love, sex and self-awareness. At the
5: moment of orgasm, we experience for a very brief period a sense of egolessness and timelessness. Rather than expending huge amounts of our time and energy searching for the next fleeting moment of bliss, this sexual energy can become pure love through meditative and sexual practices. The evolution of love is nothing but transformed sexual energy.
1: In the early days, the great sex guru hadn't been arguing for more sex, but a greater awareness whilst in the act of lovemaking. And yet his communities continued to be associated with promiscuity. Ours was no exception. And to get things rolling on this front, each weekend they'd organise a fancy dress party and disco. One evening, in the dressing-up room, I found a Russian hat, which gave me an idea for a costume. I tied a long wig around my chin, donned a white robe and the hat, and transformed myself into Osho. That evening, nodding sagely at my fellow visitors, I strolled around giving blessings. It went down like a lead balloon with the four northern blokes. But then they had their own agenda that night.
3: Hey, babe, wanna dance with me? No, thanks.
1: What about me? I had my agenda too, Jo. Jo and I had bonded the previous day during a power dancing activity when she started giggling at my dance moves. We've been inseparable ever since.
4: Oh, hi, David. I love your outfit. Is the beard real?
1: (laughs) Yeah, right, it's actually a wig I strapped to my chin. I'm meant to be Osho. I
4: like your style. No, no, keep it on, I love it.
1: We made a unique double act, a no-show impersonator and a neurolinguistic programmer from Croydon. Later we retired to a campervan. Joe insisted I keep the beard on for the whole night. As with Findon and Christiania, the highlight of this community were many of the people I met, especially Joe, whose company and intimacy was a welcome respite from dwelling on the recent news that my ex Alex had got engaged. Despite the tackiness of the power dancing and disco, it had been fun, tainted only by the larry northerners, who, frankly, just got on my tits. But there was one thing that had bothered me about the place. Often at those Saturday night fancy dress parties, I'd see the lonely, timid souls who'd come to the community in the hope of a bit of intimacy. Instead, they had to watch the more confident men and women get in Amorous. They came feeling lonely and probably left the same way. If this was a loving community as it claimed to be, shouldn't someone have been nurturing these people too? I wondered how different it might have been if the community had been run entirely by women. But did such a thing exist? As a matter of fact, it did. I first heard about a place called the Otherworld Kingdom through a friend, Mark, who'd written a feature about it in a kinky lifestyle magazine describing a castle complex in the heart of the Czech Republic, run entirely by dominant women and for whom men were their servants. Mark told me...
5: It's an oligarchy, David, with, with uh, its own Queen Patricia and her, her team of sublime ladies. Uh, men are the inferior class, subject to slavery, serfdom and imprisonment without without a fair trial. Uh, one man spent a whole month imprisoned there as, as a horse, sleeping on straw in the stables every night. Hey Mark, when he asked for bail, did they just give him more hay? Sure. You could even apply for a permanent residency at the, at the Otherworld Kingdom, leaving behind uh, your old lives in favour of subservience to womankind. It, it,
1: it, it's a Disneyland per perverts, David. There's nothing else like it on the planet. Uh, though the food there is appalling. Mark had showed me their website. The Otherworld Kingdom boasted its own flag, its currency, the Dom, and a dour state hymn played on a tuba. Its coat of arms was a pair of handcuffs and a whip. The only major gaffe seemed to be in calling itself a kingdom. Hey Mark, surely Queendom would be more appropriate, as it describes, you know, both the location and the status of the monarch, Queen Dom. You're correct, David, yes, that that would make more sense. Right. And if a kinky utopia should require a sense of purpose, the Otherworld Kingdom's website declared an ambitious manifesto.
4: The goal of the Otherworld Kingdom is to get as many male creatures under the unlimited rule of superior women on as much territory as possible. Gradual realisation of this goal will mean the introduction of an absolute matriarchy, the only righteous social order.
1: The Otherworld Kingdom was not without humour, as its taxation system showed.
4: The subordinate class are required to pay manhood tax during their visit. This is calculated by multiplying the length of the erect penis in centimetres by the coefficient 4. If the penis is incapable of achieving lift-off, the coefficient increases to 12. Exceptions are made for any subordinate class who is the father of three daughters and no sons, is on state benefits or has no penis.
1: As a seeker with a taste for the exotic and perverse, the chance to visit a kinky community far from the world of wind chimes, alpha males and half-baked New Age philosophy was just too fantastic to miss. A sad-faced man in a dog collar peered through a hole in the door. Come.
3: Do you wish to exchange any money? Um. Wh- what's the exchange rate? One euro for one dom. And what do you get for one dom? One drink at bar, four dom, seven dom, one
1: whipping, five dom, one pot noodle. I exchanged a hundred euros and, to my surprise, was left to wander around. In sunshine, the Otherworld Kingdom looked like a well-groomed stately home. A far cry from the images I'd seen online. Dank dungeons and grumpy-looking dominatrices whipping great red welts across the backsides of hairy naked men. But where were the leather-clad ladies I'd expected to see? Cigarettes, cocktail and slaves to hand. In fact, where was anybody? I wandered into the main castle building. The vast library of kinky literature. I had a nose in the other bedrooms. I checked out the indoor swimming pool. A nightclub, yet eerily strewn with limp balloons, full ashtrays and a dusty pint glass, still filled with flat stale beer. It was like Westworld after the revolution. I was actually starting to get a bit creeped out. Where was everybody? As I journeyed from building to building, I'd occasionally catch a glimpse of a short, fat Japanese man in a T-shirt which bore the legend, State Slave. He was skulking in the shadows, but whenever I approached, he slipped away. Finally, I entered the bar.
4: Empty.
1: A flat-screen telly was showing... Empty. Actually, no, it wasn't MTV, and it wasn't empty. The sad-faced man in the dog collar was there behind the bar, glued to the Czech equivalent of Pop Idol. I'd quickly come to realize he was responsible for running the entire community. Yes. Glass of white wine, please. No wine. No wine. Beer. No beer. Prosecco. What? What do you have? This. And this. Chinsano and Malibu. Classy. You got any tea? What? Glass of Malibu, please. It was at this point that the short Japanese man in the state slave T-shirt wanders in. It's getting busy here, isn't it? What? Doesn't matter. Who's the guy in the T-shirt? That's Frank. Why is he staring? Don't worry about Frank. He's
3: been terribly unhappy since the ladies left. Well, I did wonder why it was so quiet, but are you saying the ladies are not coming back? Yeah, the Queen fell out with sublime ladies a few weeks ago. They want pay rise. She refuses, there is enormous fight. (laughs) Everybody go. You know what women can be like. And you? i look after the place, like Jack Nicholson in Shining. <laughs> How reassuring. Uh, and why is Frank still here? he loved the place. Even though the ladies have gone, he doesn't want to leave. Sometimes he gets to be in film when people come to make porn. Trouble is Frank spent so much of his life on all fours, his knees are fucked. He's not much use anymore. The pawn guys just have him standing around in the background. Can there be any greater
1: insult? The next day, I ate my fourth pot noodle and explored more of the grounds. Underneath the Queen's Palace were the dungeons, rows of single, windowless prison cells. Too small to lie down in, each with a chain attached to the wall and a metal bowl. With some relief, I noticed that each prison was fitted with a bright red panic button. At the far end of the grounds was a sports arena and a dark barn full of traps and racing equipment. It was here that every summer, the Otherworld Kingdom had once hosted Slave Olympics, attracting mistresses and slaves from all over the world to indulge in some top-class entertainment. It was, if you like, a kinky It's a Knockout. The following were, according to their website at least, all genuine heats. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Welcome to the Slave Olympics, where last year's runner-up, Slave Keith, is hoping to win the largest number of ladies standing together with their full weight on one male creature competition. <laughs> uh, representing France and Germany, we have Jean-Michel and Hans in the face-slapping billions. Oh! <laughs> We've got a new event, pushing Ladies High Heel Shoe 50 meters with Slave Nose event. <laughs> and last year's winner of the highest pain tolerance award, State Slave Brin, is back to see if he can beat his personal best of an impressive three hours and 12 minutes of whipping. Or oh, when it looks like Norway are going to play their Joker.
1: <laughs> that evening, to my surprise, a couple turned up. I expected them to want to be left alone in their kinky rituals, so I was surprised when they both lunged towards me with big smiles.
5: I am Franz from Austria. This is Claudia. This is our fifth visit, something we treat ourselves to every
4: year. Oh, we love it here. So pretty, but the food is terrible. <laughs> we have learned to bring our own. You will join us now for picnic?
1: Well, thank you, Franz and Claudia. This has to be the first time I've had a picnic surrounded by, what, manacles, bullwhips and torture devices, and... Oh, Which is really nice cheese.
4: Borghese, it's Bavarian. (laughs) Here, have some wine. It is a surprise for us to see you on your own here, David. Normally they will not let men visit without a female companion.
1: Oh, right. Mm. Well, I didn't know that. I I took a year off to explore alternative communities. I wanted to sample every kind of utopia, and so I came here, but seems I got it too late. Yeah, you did.
2: But you know a genuine utopia, David? Subspace when you lose yourself completely in S&M roleplay and detached from reality. The mind surrenders to the control of another, and you're totally in the moment. That's utopia, surely. Can you pass the pickled
1: eggs? A charming picnic of cheese, fine wine and hardcore bondage anecdotes made for a pleasant afternoon, but it wasn't enough to keep me there. And a total absence of dominatrices meant there was nothing and no one to restrain me. So I left. And I'd now realised why I'd been permitted to visit unaccompanied in the first place. I paid full price to come to an abandoned amusement park. The joke was on me. The Otherworld Kingdom, I'd later discover, was up for sale. After less than 15 years, the kinky bubble had burst. But it was food for thought that being placed in solitary confinement in a cold prison cell had been someone's idea of utopia. It challenged the more accepted idea that a utopian society was one that favoured freedom, gratification and equality. At the Otherworld Kingdom, all sorts of paradoxes seemed to have been at play. Not getting what you want is getting what you want. Pain equates with pleasure. Pot noodles equate with food. Sure, a friend of mine once described fetish as sex for people who need counselling, but then he likes having a butt plug carved out of ginger root stuck up his arse. So who is anyone to judge? Utopia, I was coming to realise, is a deeply personal business. But then, so is a ginger butt plug. Back in my room, getting ready to pack up and move on, I made the mistake of checking my emails. There was one from a Prince Ubandu from Nigeria who was kindly offering to deposit several million dollars into my bank account and another from my ex, Alex.
4: Dear David, I thought I'd let you know that since Dougal proposed to me we've decided to leave Brighton. We're going to be living a totally new and more fulfilling way of life in Australia. We intend to leave in a few months. I know this will be hard for you to hear, but I hope you can share our excitement.
1: Christ, she knew how to stick the knife in. More fulfilling life. Best thing about Australia was Nick Cave. And he'd moved to Brighton. Dear Alex, I'm delighted for you both. I'm in the Czech Republic at present, but just about to fly to the Italian Alps to visit a community who've built an underground temple the size of St Paul's Cathedral and claim to have a fully functioning time machine. Feel free to share my excitement too. Competitive? Moi?
0: The number nine bus to Utopia was written by David Bramwell, with additional material by Dave Mountfield. It starred David Bramwell as himself, with Emma Kilby, Graham Duff, and Dave Mountfield in a plethora of small but essential roles. Script editor was Graham Duff. It was produced by David Bramwell and Andrew Mayling and is a special six-part series for the Auditorium Podcast, funded by the Arts Council England. Music is by Oddfellows Casino. The book, The Number 9 Bus to Utopia, is available to buy on Amazon and is even funnier and more philosophical than the podcast. Yeah, I know, it's hard to believe. The Auditorium is also a best-selling book, full of fascinating stories about pioneers, outsider artists, adventurers, and counterculture heroes. It's published by Hodder and Stoughton and is available from Amazon and all good bookshops.